Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rudeutschen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. As founder of 154, the African Contemporary Art Fair that takes place in London, Marrakesh and New York every year, and recently listed by Forbes as one of the 100 most influential women in Africa, Casablanca-born Toria El Glaoui is dedicated to giving African art and artists an international platform. Daughter of the revered artist Hassan El Glaoui, who was famously discovered by Winston Churchill, she grew up surrounded by art. As a Muslim woman, she says she was determined to be financially independent and forged a career as a wealth management consultant in New York. After spending time traveling around Africa and the Middle East, she began actively engaging with local art scenes and noticed a growing interest in African art, which led her in 2013 to do a career segue and set up the art fair from scratch. She told me, I was sure I wanted to do something connected to Africa I wanted to give visibility to the artists I believed in. She also shared her favourite restaurant and art galleries to visit in Marrakesh and her five most inspiring things to put in the cabinet at 5 Carlos Place. Toria El Glaoui, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here on this rainy day in August. We were just talking about your... your um, your fair or is it a fair or is it almost a platform or what is it what do you well, call it you know now? The, the the truth is like when i have to describe it i say it's a platform that gives visibility yeah. to you know artists from the african continent and the diaspora but the truth is it is a fair it is a commercial platform first so we do host you know 42 galleries in london for example you know this coming october and it everything is for sale so yes yeah <laughs> and it's called 154. Yes. Do you want to explain the meaning behind yes. the name? So basically when I was starting the project, I wanted a name, you know, for the fair that was, you know, really representative of the whole continent. Um, and I know we talk about Africa as a real power and people are often confuse that Africa is not a country and there's obviously so many multiplicity of talent and countries. So I wanted something that was really representative of the whole, you know, continent. And I thought, you know, a bit of geography too for people who a lot of them don't know this 54 countries in Africa. Africa. And it just made sense, you know, to just um, to just call it 154. And you yourself are from Marrakesh? Yes, so I'm originally Moroccan and I grew up in Rabat, but uh, my uh, ancestors are from the south of Morocco. And um, I really, um, I'm a Berber from uh, from uh, Telouet, to be exact, which is really the south of, uh, of Morocco. And speaking of Berber, you mentioned to me uh, one of the things that you would put into your cabinet at Five mm. Carlos Place would be a book re- referencing your Berber history. So this book, Lord of the Atlas by Gavin Maxwell, you know, written by this uh, British historian, is a book that talks about the rise and fall of, you know, my family origins. You know, um, they were quite famous in the South, you know, Berbers, warriors, you know, and it kind of like, you know, filled my childhood, you know, inspiration and, and dreams of like this crazy family, you know, fighting with swords, you know, in the South of Morocco. And um, obviously, 
it's a book that I was able to read later on fully, you know, in English as it was not my native language, you know, when I was a teenager. But my whole childhood, it was, you know, oh, as Lord of the Atlas mentioned, you know, your grandfather was called the Black Panther. And like there was all those stories about, you know, um, those fascinating Berber, you know, um, history that, you know, obviously I was just too young. I didn't even meet my grandfather, uh, my paternal grandfather. So it was kind of a, a book that filled my, you know, my imagination when I was young. So it's something that I carried on, bought, you know, the different edition over the years. And it's very exciting to have it always, you know, at my night table, you know. And your father, Hassan El Glawi, mm-hmm. who sadly recently passed away, was a very well-known, respected Moroccan artist. Yes. Growing up with him, were you aware of his status or was it something that you only came to understand a bit later? So obviously I knew that, you know, I was not raised in a, in a family like my friends because, you know, the, the studio of my father always been in the heart of our home in Morocco. Uh, we had, you know, some moment where we had to, to, to pose for my father's for portraits, uh, not always allowed to paint with his things, you know, and things like that. So I knew about, you know, his talent and what he was uh, doing. I knew because, you know, art conversation was a lot part of, you know, our family conversation um so there was a lot of of his painting all around the house you know so that i knew that you know i had i mean i had to like it because i grew up with it you know so for me it was you know very familiar sights um it's definitely much later that you know i understood going to uh, you know openings you know of galleries of his shows and you know having him talked about in in you know moroccan press and things like that i understand that people kind of admired what he was doing you know but uh, it's funny where we you grew up with something it's like it's very natural so it's not something you see as a as a unique uh, you know situation but um it's true that um you know my his ideal of a sunday with his daughters was like you know let's come to my studio and your father had a special relationship with winston churchill i read about and which and you subsequently developed an exhibition of the of featuring art from both of them. So in terms of like the anecdote of my family, I was raised with saying that my father was allowed to paint by Winston Churchill. So just imagine listening to that when you're young, you kind of think it's fictional. Um, And uh, actually, you know, obviously that book, Lord of the Atlas, talk about the relationship of my grandfather and Winston Churchill. So it's, you know, it kind of made it more real. Um, And um, I thought, you know, because of maybe Morocco that is more French-speaking, for some reason my father is more known in, in French-speaking country than English-speaking country. And the last exhibition he had done in the UK was like in 1968, I think, or something closer to those dates. And I felt like, you know, what could I do in London, you know, that could re- revive, you know, basically the presence of my father in London. And I thought that story was a very good story to to to, to basically try to, curate you know a show where it was Winston Churchill's painting in Marrakesh at the same time as my father painting where he could have seen the work of my father you know uh, very early on in his career and um, what was really funny is that when I approached the Winston grandchildren today uh, uh, that might have known about the story they completely knew about it too and uh, we you know went into the archive look at the letters between my grandfather and and Winston Churchill talking about painting and lights and which I mean it's definitely two people you would have never thought having you know 
art conversation together and it so it, it's really believable you know like from another doctor it became you know a real thing we all knew about this relationship and this art and it was a beautiful place as well we chose Leighton House Museum you know which is a, a huge uh, you know mixture of uh, oriental you know flavor and British flavor and that we thought it was a great venue for the event sounds so amazing it is exciting it looks like a bit of a of a you know a well of uh, you know mystery inspiration and I can always goes back to the family to find like a superb anecdote you know to to be inspired by so it's great what else would you put into your cabinet at five Carlos place so while we're on it you know and the family I think Marrakesh is probably one of my uh, most um, inspirational city just because of the lights I have a fascination of light and this is something that also my father always said that you know the light of Marrakesh was quite unique to paint and I don't know if it's because it's in the foothill you know of the mountain of Atlas with the light of the mountain with the snow and the red you know walls of the city I don't know what give it this very incredible mystery and uh, it's also something that you know I'm fascinating as I said by my roots and it is a Berber name you know Marrakesh it means land of God you know and for me it's just like all this you know imagination going but it's a city where I go and I feel at home even though I never grew up there you know this is also the city now of my last edition of the fair you know in Africa um, and uh, I find it you know really exciting to be able to excite people to come to Marrakesh and discover it you know the way I've always seen it and like um, and it's uh, it's a city that you know you take any pictures of Marrakesh it's fascinating they have like some of the oldest you know buildings and most mosques of Morocco it's I love it so it will definitely go in my cabinet <laughs> how do you think we'll represent it maybe you have a nice photo well, of yourself in Marrakesh? <laughs> well, unfortunately, you will see a bit of Marrakesh behind me. <laughs> a, a selfie. <laughs> a I think selfie it's got to be a with, selfie. Like the mosque, you. Yeah. you know, something. Uh, well, I don't know, but like a, an aerial view of the city or, you know, the Atlas Mountain just by themselves, you know, will be, will be good enough, you know, in the cabinet. Any part of Marrakesh will be good enough, you know. And <laughs> when people are traveling to Marrakesh who don't live there and they ask you for tips what they should do, what do you say to them? Well, it depends, you know, because obviously if it's their first experience in Marrakesh, you want them to, you know, to, to, to be mesmerized by the city. So you advise them to go to the bazaar, you know, to, to go to the, you know, to, to eat on the terrace, to see the whole, uh, you know, the whole old Medina. What's the best restaurant to eat at? Um, one of my favorite during the day is La Terrasse des Epices because you really are on top of uh, you know the old Medina so you really see uh, you know the, the city in a different way because when you walk the bazaar you actually in the inside you are covered up you know so you don't really see the, the all the little houses and riads you know that makes the old city but when you're on top of that restaurant you know and it's a beautiful sunset you know there's nothing more amazing than you know being there and seeing this like kind of pinkish sunset Set. they have the best sunset in Morocco in Marrakesh particularly what about art galleries there what would you recommend uh, so it, it, we were you know also very fascinating by the fact that you know in London we do the fair when the in the same time as freeze you know it's very 
busy city, but in Marrakech, we're able to have the whole city work with us on, on this project. And there's some unbelievable, you know, uh, galleries. So we had a gallery night. So there's a gallery called Voice Gallery um, in the, the, the industrial part of the city. But you have also David Block. I mean, there's a, there's a part of the city that have at least five or six Marrakech gallery. So there's this fantastic gallery of photography called Galerie 127. Um, it's very, you know, it's a great city uh, to discover art. Um, and then you have obviously now two beautiful museums. You know, you have you have the Yves Saint Laurent Museum that just opened up um, with the Jardin Majorelle, which is also part of the, you know, of that Yves Saint Laurent experiences that offer, you know, an exhibition of a new designer every six months. Um, and then you have the new Museum of Contemporary African Art called Macal. Um, and for me, you know, it's completely aligned with what we do, showcasing contemporary African art, you know, and the museum is a stunning piece of architecture as well. So for the people who have never seen, you know, Marrakech on the art, you know, kind of circuit, it's definitely two pieces, two places I wouldn't miss, uh, miss out. And you didn't start out as a working in the art world, even though you grew up around art. Um, I believe you started your career in the banking yes. industry <laughs> in New York. In New York. So I was wondering if you could explain the journey that took you from there to what you're doing now. Okay, it's it, it's a very unexpected journey to be honest. So I knew that I wanted to be independent, independent woman. You know, I grew up in a Muslim country, so this is like one of my obsession was like, you know, I need to have an education, like be, you know, businesswoman of some kind. So I went to New York, you know, studied in Pace University, would give me a scholarship to do my MBA. So um, and then you know, I was offered this uh, job in this brokerage firm. I took it because I was like, okay, great, you know, <laughs> a job, you know. <laughs> to my studies um, and then I got a better job you know in finance in private banking you know um, where they thought I had more to bring you know to to the company with my network of people etc you know it's all about bringing rich people to the bank etc then I didn't find it very interesting because the there was always this visa renewal you know in the US when you're not American where you have to actually make sure the company like <laughs> um, you know fund your your visa you know for for another five years so for some reason this renewal did not happen and I was under my MBA work visa or something like that and uh, um, you know I was like okay maybe it's time for me to go after 10 years you know it's like I'm not going to leave this thing again and again where you have to renew your visa you know make sure that the job won't keep you not choosing the right job so I find a job in London um, and I'm half French so it just worked out much uh, easier at the time I don't know if it's going to be the case forever but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it was in a telecom fund and uh, you know, it was about covering Middle East and Africa. Um, so that took me closer to Africa, let's say, in that experiences of the business development and finding, you know, those licenses for this telecom fund. Um, so this is also my first experience about going back home, working in Morocco, also having that experience. And after five years in this job, you know, I had the chance to work for this uh, other corporate group called Cisco System. And that it was to develop the Middle East and African market. So then I really, I think, uh, believe this is where I've discovered, you know, Africa as a continent, you know, really enjoy, you know, working. That was the best part of the job was really going, discovering all those places in Africa. And, you know, in this discovery, you know, there was a lot of free time and waiting time to have like different meetings with government, with service providers, with this and that, to sell those solutions. And uh, I mean, as art has always been a reference in my childhood and my trips. And, you know, when I was going on, I was like trying to figure out what was the, you know, the local art scenes in the different countries where I was stuck in for work you know and uh, how did how did you 
when you're in a place yes like that how do you find out what the art scene is where do you start do you go online or so yes definitely the internet was already on uh, but you know the, the the places also that I was sent to was often you know South Africa which has quite a large developing scene you know um, so that was a much easier you know um, finding uh, and then you know through artists I would be like you know I'm going to Nigeria next any recommendation and they had friends or they had you know her about an art center or you know some kind of very basic platform by the way in the country that I could go and give me a contact it was more about you know finding contacts to contacts to go to to different places um, and uh, this is really where I faced you know the amazing inspiring art you know that you know I wanted to do my platform with so there's not a particular moment where I was like okay I want to do a contemporary African art fair but I think it's really a journey of my past experiences you know professionally and actually um, visiting those countries on my, you know, previous life and previous professional life and wanting to do something for those artists. At the same time of this was happening, I was already starting the catalogue raisonné of my dad. And when you start the catalogue raisonné, you have to go back to really early on in the career of, um, of the artist. And it's obviously the early stage of my father's art that I never known, you know, I never knew that that path he took. But these things that clicked, you know, like why he became, you know, famous in Morocco and the fact that he had this international visibility that he started his career in Paris, you know, rather than Morocco, really helped him become, you know, what he became. And I figure out that what was missing about all those great art that actually was not cross crossing over geographically was that they didn't have international visibility. And this is like, you know, those pieces coming together eventually that made me want to stop what I was doing and actually start this platform. So I, I wasn't sure it was going to be successful, but I was sure that I wanted to do something that was in touch with Africa, you know, because I loved, you know, working there and being in touch with African, you know, the different African countries I visited and, you know, doing something to bring visibility of, you know, the talent I was seeing that nobody was seemed to, to, to know, you know. And at the beginning, I remember thinking, you know, it's probably something that a lot of people thought about and I was just wondering why it was not done because I couldn't imagine that people have seen what I had seen and not wanting to buy what I was seeing because I was crazy, you know, buying, you know, very affordable art in Africa uh, because those artists didn't get the same representation or visibility, you know, for 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 their work. So it is um, something that I was just, uh, you know, brought to do but like with all those different experiences but from new york to you know to africa why hadn't anyone else done it i think you know so probably my origins and being attached to the continent you know made me maybe more um engaged with the continent you know uh, at some point and i think I think if you're from the outside and you didn't have a chance to maybe visit, you know, those countries, you might not even like put the two together, you know, be like, oh, it's an African continent and this contemporary art as well. You obviously in the media having all those images about Africa, uh, you know, that are often painful, um, you know, of civil wars, of like unstable countries, of like Ebola or I don't know what, you know, but they don't talk about the positive stories and, you know, what you see also of a, a huge pool of talent that there is not just, you know, in art, but also in fashion and design. And um, for me, you know, it's just um, something that seems to be so, um, you know, 
uh, absurd, you know, that nobody thought about it, you know, and uh, and I think maybe they thought about the geography difficulties of bringing the art, you know, and maybe I went too blindly with it too, you know, I didn't think it was going to be difficult at all, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, I can do it, you know, for sure. And yeah. I kind of like discovered. Ignorance is bliss. Yes, yeah. in that case. <laughs> What's the next thing you want to put into your cabinet? Um, so something that can go so I thought about a beautiful picture of this artist that I love from South Africa is probably one of my favorite artists uh, Marlene Dumas she's a South African artist who painted this um, this piece called Broken Whites and I have to say I've seen it the first time in La Fondation Belayer uh, in Basel and honestly I cried it was that so, it's permanent home uh, no it was an exhibition uh, uh, a retrospective on her work and it was a full solo show of her work uh, um, I never had seen a large range, you know, of her work uh, before, but that piece, you know, really talked to me. And then I researched a bit about it and I was like, okay, you know, what inspired her? Because sometimes like it's all like large scale naked people, you know, I don't have the same feeling on all her painting, even though I feel she's the most talented portraitist, you know, I've seen, you know, in my, in my years. Um, but that particular one, you know, I felt like it's so soft, so erotic at the same time that it's really my screensaver on or my phone I, I'd never get tired of seeing it and I felt like you know if somebody had to discover something about uh, my cabinet you know I definitely wanted to be part of it who owns the painting uh, I am not really sure I know it went you know she's been really inspired by African art and Japanese art and I know that the painting was first I think shown if not not wrong to uh, this you know, exhibition that took the title of the piece Broken Whites in Japan. And, um, you know, she paints from pictures, you know, and uh, uh, she was very inspired. And this is what I read when I started, like, looking at the history of the painting. And I don't want to mess up the, the name, but she was inspired by Nobuyoshi Aruki, who does this very erect, erotic series of, uh, of photographies. But she did this, she did, uh, she, uh, he did the series of, uh, uh, called, the, I think, the softness journey, you know, where it's not too you know erotic as well but like it's already about poses and you can definitely see the inspiration and this is where they showed her in japan with all her work but that particular piece was shown with the source of inspiration and i wish i could have seen that uh, that exhibition because it's probably you know was much more interesting in seeing it in the context of you know all those pieces that inspired that piece you know do you collect art yourself Yes, but I have a very small budget to do it. So I usually try to collect, you know, the, the young and emerging, you know, artists that I really like at the fair or when I travel, maybe sometimes without representation, you know, that are still very affordable. Um, I didn't get wrong so far because they became, you know, what I thought they would become. But like, I never go, you know, beyond 2,000, 3,000 pounds. So it has to stay, you know, in that, uh, in that range. Mm. Do you have any recommendations? Listen, I always I'm asked that question and I feel like it's very unfair because like, for example, <laughs> this fair, we have 130 artists, you know, so it wouldn't be fair to recommend one rather than another. But, you know, um, I'm fascinated by this artist called Thierry Oussou, for example, who's represented here by a fantastic gallery called Tiwani. But I met him when he was doing his residency program in Amsterdam. So it has nothing to do about me representing him or whatever. It's just I loved what he did then, you know, and his project 
aspect of a final, you know, um, I wouldn't say year, but of his residency. And uh, I'm just glad to see, you know, how he has evolved. He's been this year part of the Biennale of Berlin. You know, he he, he did his journey, you know, completely separate. But that he had, he had caught my eyes, you know, like five years ago and I had bought two pieces of his art so I was like yeah <laughs> you know like for that one I was super happy you know to have discovered it on my own you know when he didn't have a gallery and for the funny anecdotes you know he did he's obviously was selected as one of the artists for the Berlin Biennale but he chose me as his uh, Biennale partner you know because he remember he remind he remember me buying his art when he first you know was uh, beginning his uh, his career so I was very touched so I organized a dinner for him there and everything but uh, I was really touched at he remembered that you know we had this conversation in his um, in his um, art academy so I don't recommend him but I definitely recommend you to look at what he does because it's fascinating you founded 154 in 2013 and I think the first one was in at Somerset House yes. in London which is where your London office yes. is now <laughs> I was just wondering if you could explain a bit about how it evolved from its beginnings which was the idea was to draw together artists, paint, you know, painters, sculptors from Africa and its diaspora, um, but it's kind of evolved into much more than that, yes. to what it is today. Yes, so basically we started in 2013 and honestly, uh, as I said, I didn't have a background from a fair, you know, I didn't know how to run a fair, you know, I learned as I was going along. Um, by the way, we can go back to Somerset House too because it will be part of my cabinet. But uh, uh, when I started doing this particular project, I think the first mission was really, you know, to actually give visibility uh, to those artists, you know, that I believed in and like that had galleries, you know, because obviously that facilitated, you know, the whole logistic uh, aspect of things. Uh, but, you know, we started with 17 galleries inside Somerset House. So it was a baby fair and I really wanted to see if it was going to work, if people would be interested. So we strategically chose, you know, uh, Freeze Week because we knew that we couldn't like bring all the collectors they were bringing for an African art fair, you know, in London that didn't have a reputation. So we really and didn't have really budget to to do any marketing promotion, you know, anything like that. So we're like, what a better way to do it during Freeze and try to drag all their collectors to 154 to discover, you know, the, the contemporary African art scene. And uh, it seems that it was so popular the first year that all the galleries sold out, you know. So obviously I knew there was going to be a second year, but it gave me the opportunity to double the size of the fair because suddenly, you know, everybody wanted to to be part of it. And uh, at least the the players in this very small uh, uh, art world that I live in, you know. So um, we started and the second year, same thing. They all sold out, you know. So we're like, okay, so if the main thing is about giving them visibility and accelerating this whole you know them being part of the institutions more you know having exhibition in different museum you know getting the biggest collector interested in it I mean it's like I have to be in another you know art capital of the world and what a, another better place to be than New York you know so we decided I decided and made that decision that you know I wanted to be in New York too um, and because we're small very difficult for people to understand how our journey went from you know London New York after two years and then Marrakesh after another two years you know but really it's like because we can really 
pick up our TP and go somewhere else, you know, really fast. Uh, and we are not using a tent. We don't have a, to build a tent. We're using a building, usually unique, you know, we want a unique experience for the audience. Which so, building is it in New York and which in Marrakesh? So in New York, it's my favorite building in the world. It's in Brooklyn. It's called Pioneer Works. And it's an art foundation that was created by Dustin Yellen, which is an artist. And I really love the whole mission of his foundation and his art foundation. It, it's an old um, art, uh, iron factory you know as old as Somerset House pretty much old in wood and uh, and bricks you know and it has a beautiful garden and our fair in New York is in May during freeze week as well and we have this garden to enjoy you know so it has a whole different feel than you know Somerset House and all its splendor and grandeur you know that uh, it provides and Marrakesh you know to be honest I was looking at the destination rather than uh, you know felt that it had to be Marrakesh because I loved Marrakesh but I wanted to place where you know our collector base is still heavily dependent on international collectors so I wanted a place where I knew I could drag you know those very international collectors that have so many other places to go to you know and so many choices um, and I had done that Churchill and fa uh, my father exhibition that went at the Mamunia where Winston Churchill was staying so after London this exhibition rotated to the Mamunia and so I had this great relationship already with them and I said you know I'm looking for a place could we do something here and they said of course you know you have to do it here there's no other way you know and blah 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 and I have to say it gave this ecran of, uh, of luxury you know to contemporary African art which is amazing because suddenly I was able to attract also another higher level of collectors who might have not come to London or to New York because we are obviously a bit you know um, isolated in New York being in Brooklyn and like you know I mean, we're not freeze. We are what we are, but like you know, it's also you know at another destination, and uh, it's not automatically that you have the largest collectors in the world coming to one fifty four. But for some reason, uh, Marrakesh and the Mamounia make it you know quite an attractive destination to get also another range of collector that we're not getting before. So I'm in love with the three destination, but I have a bit of a attachment you know in my heart for Somerset House just because. So that's it, going into your cabinet. Definitely, because I mean. I, it was always been one of my favorite places in London. And, uh, you know, I looked at different spaces to do the fair first. You know, I never thought they would say yes. You know, so I was like going to the Royal Academy School, you know, in the back. You know, um, I really wanted to something very central. So I was looking, you know, where can I go where the collectors will come not to be too, you know, extend I don't know what the word in English but uh, uh, isolated from the crowd you know from freeze and uh, to be honest nothing worked out you know I couldn't find the right space and I wanted to be quite you know grand because it was the first time those artists would be shown so I wanted something different than just a tent or like uh, a very impersonal you know space and uh, and I think you know my last way in Somerset House was like through connection so I was waiting for the right person to meet the director of Somerset House and be well introduced you know because I didn't have a reputation and obviously I didn't know if they would accept such a, such a project and to be honest when they said yes right away it was the most easiest thing that happened you know at all of my conversation with the other spaces and they're like yes we definitely want Africa and Somerset House you know there's a whole history with the building and um, you know then you know they had this whole 
you know, exchange program I was mentioning before where they had this for entrepreneurs where you could have memberships, start your business from there, you know, so it became my home, you know, where I prepared the fair. Um, and what I love about it is I think up until today, I discovered places and corners, you know, I didn't know before, uh, besides the fact that it has been an inspiration for all those artists now that are so proud that they've been shown for the first time, you know, at Somerset House. So the whole relationship we have with artists is very different because they are for the first time you know shown internationally somewhere and it's Somerset House you know for most of the time uh, so for them it's like being part of a museum exhibition at the same time it is a fair but they are in this very grand you know art center in the in the heart of London but for me personally why I wanted there is just because it has all this history of like you know that is inspiring of like being built by one guy you know becoming a state guy a state building later on going back to the royal family you know I mean I just love the story and until three years ago you know we were able uh, now to do an ambitious project in the courtyard you know uh, so the past three years we have asked an artist to commission and think you know very ambitiously about doing this grand sculpture for the courtyard and the first year the first project we had it was from this Caribbean artist called Zach Ove who digged up this whole story about you know Queen Anne of Denmark you know who basically lived in the in the palace at one point of time where she decided to do a mask ball you know about black beauties where basically their idea of fun with her and her her maid were to disguise themselves in you know African queens you know of Africa and they made it a theme where they painted their face I mean it will be completely <laughs> politically incorrect today but he was inspired by that story to build you know those 40 armed guards you know into Somerset House which was our first sculpture there so he got his own source of inspiration you know from the building with a story that was quite unique that even you know this team of Somerset House didn't know about you know because he had read it in the book in the archive and he made this fantastic you know sculpture called the black and blue um and I have to read it because it's a long title, The Black and Blue, The Invisible Man and the Massacre of Blackness. And the nice thing is that it went from Somerset House to the Yorkshire Sculpture Park after, afterwards. And he did a similar project then in San Francisco. So that visibility gave him, you know, quite an amazing uh, path after, you know, that ambitious project. But uh, this is for me, you know, an amazing building because you can feel the history, you can feel the inspiration when you're there. How is the atmosphere between the three different locations different well i think you know the somerset house definitely give you know an atmosphere because of the building you know we are in so especially in terms of the people who come to it yes so basically it's taking the time to talk to the artists but i think the building itself gives us a very serious classic feel to whatever they see you know it's very serious for some reason London is grand and people take you know this as a very uh, very serious show in uh, Brooklyn you know in Pioneer Works is this very bohemian you know feel because it's Brooklyn and the the, the people we're working with and their collaboration with uh, Dustin and his team you know is a, is a more of like an artistic scene because when we're not there the residence artists you know program and uh, and there's a garden so people have this you know 
very cool atmosphere where they come to hang out and chill for the day. And um, also the audience there, you know, to be honest, we have been able to attract not only from an artist perspective, more African-American artists. So there's a lot of galleries who are more American galleries, you know, showcasing African-American artists. So this is our diaspora, I guess, there, you know. And uh, the audience of collector is also black African-American collectors, you know, which we don't tap in you know, in London, for example. So for us, it's a quite a, uh, also very surprising, you know, collector base that we haven't expected, you know, but that are very interested into supporting, you know, black artists. And I think the next, you know, important black pool of uh, a black artist is Africans, you know, so we are very lucky that way that they have such a strong interest. So a lot of the patrons of the museum, like the Brooklyn Museum, the MoMA, you know, they have their own um, uh, collective of collector called uh, Friends of Education, you know, who are uh, huge patrons of uh, black art, you know, who are coming to the fair. So this is for me, you know, very nice, uh, you know, interesting, you know, mix of people that uh, is quite unique to New York. And in Marrakesh, you know, what's fascinating is that we had a lot of uh, problem convincing North Africa to actually be part of Africa. There's this invisible border that people don't know about, but between North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, like Sub-Saharan Africa doesn't feel North African and vice versa. And this is probably the leftovers of the colonial, you know, empires, etc. But um, it took us three years to actually starting having the, 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 the North African gallery to be part of, of 154 and in what I like is in Morocco they really feel at home so we have that extra larger number of North African artists who are present and the fact that it's a French speaking country as well you know brings a whole different touch I never thought about you know when I decided to 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 do it in Marrakesh from collector base so even the African collector base you know based in Africa but in French speaking country even if I've met them several times and we're friends you know when I travel and I go see them straight away etc they never made the trip to London and to New York and I never understood why because they buy from the galleries I think the language was a barrier you know and uh, so they all came to Marrakesh which is you know fascinating to see also those facets of you know who comes to where because of language for example you know and uh, it was great to see that this this attractiveness of Marrakesh because of uh, the ease of a language to communicate you know that brings different people What's the last thing okay. you put into your cabinet? So the last thing I thought was more like, I was like, okay, let me try to pull something because it's matchfashion.com, you know, not because it's a brand that is sold here, but I wanted something that was more representative of something I wear all the time. And it's this pendant that is, has done by this uh, uh, lovely friend of mine, I'll say one of my best friends, and she did her range of jewelry and five of her lines are called with names of her best friends. And uh, so this is my pendant. <laughs> and obviously it never left uh, my side since she gave it to me as a present. And it's made with Persian turquoise. And, you know, we spend great time in Ibiza, to be honest. And like, it's the whole line. That line is inspired by her her trips in Ibiza and basically friendship and togetherness. And, you know, I just really like this piece. Her name is Samantha T. And she's just about, you know, the friendliest, the friendliest person you can meet in the world you know so um it's not every day that you have a jewelry made for you with your name so i'm like very excited about that piece so it can go into the cabinet as well <laughs> excellent if you can part with it we'll have to probably do a photograph of it yes yes we might not want to take it off i'll take it off i mean how long 
forever no photographically <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> or maybe I'll, I'll make sure that she you know she she can lend you one for for that and keep mine you know that would work as well <laughs> all right well Toria thank you so much well, thank you for coming Daniel, to talk to us and for having me that was an episode of the collector's house a matches fashion podcast you can find more episodes and more about five carlos place on the matches fashion website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at matches fashion at matches fashion man and the hashtag five carlos place thanks for listening